men and women are different. They have unique sensibilities. They fit into, as a general rule, certain roles that work really well with their biology. That doesn't mean there can't be overlap or flexibility, and I'm talking about gender roles here. What we essentially did was, instead of climbing up on the pedestal, we sort of shoved them off and stood there. We're the leaders now. We can do everything you can do. We don't need you. And that's a completely different message than saying, hey, we'd like a little piece of that pie too. Teaching women how to love a man. Here's how it works. And if you go this other route, you're gonna have a lot of conflict. We have to figure this out because it was one thing to shake things up and have flexibility with gender roles. And it's another to completely upset the apple cart to the point where what makes men and women great and what makes the dance between them so great went away when we did that. You're a man living in the modern world in a time when men and manhood are not what they once were. You live life on your own terms. You're self-sufficient. You think for yourself and you march to the beat of your own drum. When life knocks you down, you get back up because in your gut, you know that's what men do. You're a badass and a warrior. And on the days when you forget, we are here to remind you who you really are. Welcome to the Sovereign Man Podcast, where we aim to make men masculine again. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou. We have a very special guest here today. In fact, this is the first woman that's ever been a guest on the Sovereign Man Podcast. And I thought that it would be appropriate to bring her on the show because she has uh, been a leading thought leader in the world of um, issues dealing with modern feminism, with families, with men, and with marriages. She's written a number of books on them. One of her best-selling books is The Alpha Female's Guide to Men and Marriage, How Love Works. And another one of her books is how, Women Who Win at Love, How to Build a Relationship That Lasts. I am speaking, of course, of Suzanne Venker. Welcome to the show, Suzanne. Thanks for having me, Nikki. Thanks for being on the show. So, Suzanne, for the benefit of my listener, would you please tell us your backstory? Let's see. Well, I, I, I'm going to start. Let's see. Let me let me start where it's most applicable probably to your audience. And that is when I wrote an article called The War on Men in 2012. I had had several books out by that time. Um, but that article probably is what put me more on the map, if you will, because that article did go viral. I wound up on you know, doing the media circuit, including The View of all places. That's a hoot. Um, and it kind of embarrassed me. <laughs> what a horrible show. But anyway, um, my publisher would have killed me if I turned that down. Um, but so 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 it's it, it became one of the most read op-eds in Fox News history to date. And the gist of that article, and this again, this was 2012, was kind of what you opened with in terms of feminism, where I essentially said, look, men and women are different. They have unique sensibilities. They fit into, as a general rule, certain roles um, that are that work really well with their biology, and that that doesn't mean there can't be overlap or flexibility. And I'm talking about gender roles here, because there can and there will be, and that's fine. But that 
what we essentially did was instead of, I think the way I phrased it in that article was instead of climbing up on the pedestal alongside men, we sort of shoved them off and stood there in lieu of them and said, hey, we're the leaders now. We can do everything you can do. We don't need you. And that's a completely different message than saying, hey, we'd like a little piece of that pie too. However, um, well, so that's, so that's, so that's, and of course, feminists went crazy when that came out, needless to say, which is what ended up making it go viral. Thank you very much to feminists. I don't think that was their intent. Um, and then I got involved really since that time with men's issues um, for, for some time, for a number of years as a result of that. And I wrote a little ebook following that article called The War on Men as well. From there, um, you know, that's probably what made me have more like 50-50 in terms of male-female audience, you know, to this day. Um, I don't, I can't imagine that as many men would have heard about me if it weren't for that article. So since then, um, I wrote that book that you mentioned, The Alpha Female's Guide to Men and Marriage. That was sort of a self-help slash memoir book about how two strong personalities when they get together are combustible. And I wrote about my parents' marriage and my own and um, why – I, I think a better way of describing that book is really teaching women how to love a man. I think that's probably if I were going to retitle it today. That's how I title it. If you want to live for the rest of your life, you know, once you get married with this man, and presumably you do because that's why you got married, here's how it works. And if you go this other route, you're going to have a lot of conflict. So sort of my own story and then helping other women. And then from there, that was in 2017. I've been um, a relationship coach ever since then, helping women essentially put that, put that message that you read about in the book into action. That's where we are today. Wow. So tell me about the premise of that article that is one of the most widely read articles yeah. in the history of Fox News, The War on Men. What made you write the article and what is the war on men? Um, I had written a book prior to the article the previous year called How to Choose a Husband and Make Peace with Marriage. So it was for women. And I, I was, again, wouldn't have titled that book that way either in retrospect. <laughs> I have an issue with titles. And when I, whenever <laughs> you, whenever you, I'm never, I'm never satisfied and I never think it really gets to the heart of what's in the content. Uh, or what the content is. But at any rate, um, you have to, when you have a book come out, you have to, you know, sell it, obviously. And so I wrote that article called The War on Men, interestingly enough, um, as in preparation for that book coming out several months later. And what happened was it went so crazy on its own. I think that book just got buried. It never really did. I never really did do the circuit on that because it was all the focus was on The War on Men. So what made me write that was basically, I was essentially saying, look, we're at an impasse. Um, we have to figure this out because it was one thing to shake things up and have flexibility with gender roles um, and tell women to go out into the workforce um, and leave their homes en masse, which is what they did. And it's another to completely upset the apple cart to the point where what makes men and women uh, great and what makes the dance between them so great—that masculinity and femininity piece—went um, away when we did that, and so we overcorrected, if you want to put it that way. 
And now we're in a, a, I mean, I don't know if I can, well, things are so bad right now between men and women that it's scary. It's scary what I see up close every week. And what makes me sad is that this generation really isn't to blame. It's the generation above them that taught them, um, taught women that it was bad to be female, that that meant you were less than, that women um, aren't equal with men, and here's how you get equal with men. Um, and it's just been a complete shit show ever since, in my opinion, in the last 40, 50 years. Why do you think that message was one that came to prominence? Because I've yeah. got my own ideas about it, but I'd really like to hear yours. I have years of, when I look back on, on all the work that I did and trying to get the message out through the traditional media, it's almost laughable. So the wonderful thing about the last 10 years of with this alternative media is that people like myself, whose message is very countercultural, can get yeah. the message out and reach the people without that gatekeeper. Well, at the time when I was writing, that was not the case. And I mean, I went through, you can't even believe, um, in uh, dealing with what we then called the liberal media. You know, this yeah. is when the, this was 2004, the book Bias came out by Bernard Goldberg. I don't know if you remember that. That was when my very first yep. book came out and that exposed the left um, for being what they, that they dominate in media and in our universities and in Hollywood. And unless you had come up against that on your own for some reason, and let's face it, most people wouldn't have, you wouldn't really know that. I mean, people kind of always knew that the that the media was left wing. But what he pointed out at that time was that it's not like this um, thing where they sit around and try to pull the wool over people's eyes. It's that they truly, honestly believe that the way they think is normal and good. And that if you don't agree with them, then there's something wrong with you and you have to be taken down. And of course, they have the power to do that. And they did. Well, one angle that nobody ever talked about when we talk about left wing media is the feminist media. So I was sort of on a mission at that time to point out, listen, we're not just talking left wing, like liberal, like, you know, your traditional political topics, but like, as far as the marriage, the family, men and women, um, and women's lives in general, it is completely governed by this feminist media. And I had to go up against that media pre smartphones, pre internet, pre YouTube, and fight them to get my message out. And it was hell. I mean, it was not fun. And I kept going and but and every time I got shut down, it would just make me angrier. And I kept going, but you couldn't pay me to do it again. I've been there done that. It was quite, um, quite an ordeal too much for this podcast, probably to, um, to expound upon as far as how far it really went to um, I mean, even at Fox News, I've had to deal with stuff where I'd get on. I did that. I wrote for Fox News for some years. And I'd go on periodically, uh, Fox and Friends and um, some other shows, and I'd have to deal even there with feminist media because that's the thing that I always want to get across to people is that feminism really isn't a conservative, liberal issue. It's really bipartisan. Um, it's, a, it's almost a separate thing, feminism, from, from left-wing, right-wing politics. Um, it's been, it's, it politicized marriage and motherhood, and women and men don't want it politicized, and they're not... They want what's best for themselves and their families and each other and their, but they're having to get everything filtered through this feminist lens. Well, um, 
I wholeheartedly agree with you. And my own take on this um, has been something that um, has been informed by my life experience. Several years ago, I went through a separation and divorce. It really opened my eyes into how much the powers that be were against men uh, in government. And I had to really fight in order to win uh, the rights that I wanted for myself as a man, as a father, to have custody, etc. And secondarily, I started to really explore this. And I found a book written by a former CIA uh, operative by the name of Kent Clisby called Willing Accomplices. And in it, he outlines how for the last hundred or so years, there has been a, um, a march through America and the West's open institutions to overtly turn them against themselves. And part of the strategy was to weaken men, to weaken the family, and to cause a rift between men and women. Because they realized if they did this and they made men weaker, it'd be easier for them in the long run to be able to just walk in and take over our societies without firing a shot. And then there, there's a former KGB agent named Yuri Bezmanov, who has a very long uh, video on YouTube that he recorded after he defected to the West, where he basically outlines the KGB strategy for weakening the West. And this was a big part of their playbook. There is no question that uh, when you dismantle the relationship between women and men, you dismantle the family, right? That's where the family starts. If there's no marriage, if there's no relationship, there's no marriage, there's no family. I mean, that's not a popular thing to say today because today anyone can be a family if they want to be a family and you just have all you need is love. And as long as you have somebody there, I mean, this whole dismantling of the idea of marriage and the fact that children need two parents, which by the way, this isn't a book of mine, but there's a new book out called The, the Two-Parent Privilege. Yeah, I don't know if you heard that. Um, no. uh, by an economist who is making the rounds now um, having to fight through this, basically, she's saying, look, I, the facts are the facts. Here's what we know about children of two parent families. Here's how they turn out compared to those with single parent families, which are usually single moms, which means basically moms, single moms go to work, which means basically the kids are left alone to raise themselves, yada, yada. I mean, it just, yeah, it, it, we've uh, normalized single parenting as though it's just comparable without thinking through what does that really mean when you're talking about divorce and single parents from this, as far as how kids are being raised go, because we never talk about that. We only talk about what the parents need and more specifically what mom or women want and need. Um, but you have to take it all the way through to the life of the child. If you don't have two parents who are married in the home, it's not just that you're losing one parent to becoming a weekend parent, usually the dad, but you also lose the mom because the mom has to go to work, which she might've gone to work before, but now it's like the whole thing's imploded because you're essentially on your own at home. There's nobody, there's no home to, to, um, you really can't call it a home because no one's in it. <laughs> and if they are in it, they're going to bed and sleeping and showering. There's no real creating of a home and making of the meals and doing all those things that you and I would have grown up with, it's gone. It just doesn't exist anymore. So even if moms worked when mom and dad were both there, um, it's a given that if you're divorced, you do that. So you're not just losing your parent, you're really losing both parents. 
so anyway, so she's got this book out Pretty sort smart, of saying yeah. that this is, this is, we, we, this is not working economically. Now she's coming at it a little bit more from an economic standpoint, but um, at any rate, the point is there when you damage the family, you damage society, obviously. So it all starts there. Mm-hmm. So you're right. That's where the, that's what the goal was. Cause they knew that if you undermine the family, then you, um, you can, you can kind of teach and parent young people because they're going to need that because they, you know, they don't have that family unit teaching them otherwise. Yeah. And that's why there's been so many, uh, families that are, um, really taking on movements like the homeschooling movement, right? Homeschooling used to be this oddity that nobody yeah. ever did. And right yeah. now it's yeah. so hot. so fast. Yeah, it it's is. Unbelievable, right? It is unbelievable. It's kind of, it, it, I'm shocked. I'm actually, I kind of thought it was going to happen, but I didn't realize it was going to happen this, this quickly. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. And there's a lot of folks who are starting to speak up in favor of uh, quote unquote traditional values mm-hmm. uh, uh, and traditional notions of family, of a two parent household, of mom and dad, and the father being the primary breadwinner, and all that stuff. You know, from my point of view, it, it's it's interesting because my mom worked growing up. She was a nurse, and then she ran a bookstore at at, at the private school in Iran that uh, I went to, and she really worked for a big chunk of her life. So we didn't have like a stay-at-home mom when I was growing up. But um, there was no question that the primary responsibility for uh, providing for the family was dad's, even though mom made enough money to do it too. But dad was out there doing most of it. And her biggest job was to raise us. And that was absolutely clear. Now I went through a divorce. I didn't want to go through a divorce. I was trying to keep my family together. I was unable to do so. Uh, but I'll, I'll tell you that I've done everything in my power in working with my ex-wife to create, uh, the second best. And it definitely is second best. It's not nearly as good as having both of us together in the same home, a situation for my two sons. And I think that what you have had to say over the years about the war on men and about the issues that uh, modern men and women are facing is absolutely bang on. And you're right. It's not the fault of this generation. It is definitely the fault of the older generations because they had a chance to stop this in their tracks, but they didn't, they got taken in by the BS. Absolutely. And you know, it's funny you were saying about, um, uh, people res- being more receptive now to the to traditional notions of family. I can vouch for that because when I started writing this, when I was telling you about my experiences with the media 20 years ago, I mean, it was 20 years ago when I was talking about first fighting them. Um, I, I'm been, I've been overcome this year with a completely different response. Now that the gatekeeper is out of my life, because I try not to deal with traditional media ever and just go through YouTube and my podcast and website and just the internet in general. Removing the gatekeeper has been unbelievably eye-opening. I am now inundated with love every day. Not love like love of me, love of my message, like desperation for this message. I've never heard this before. What what are you talking about? My whole life I've heard this. Now you're telling me this. And this is actually what I've been feeling, but nobody's said it's okay. And it's constantly coming at me every day. And it's so satisfying. But 
more interestingly is that it's fascinating com- to compare it to 20 years ago because I was dealing with so much, you're the devil, you're crazy, you know, you're just basically being marginalized. And it's fast been fascinating watching just removing that gatekeeper and getting to the people directly has been fabulous. So, so wonderful. So I don't know if it's what, what's, what's, what's bothering me is I can't figure out whether they were always there all along <laughs> and there was no means to get to them before the internet and all that, or if it really is changing. I think it's a bit of both. I think there was plenty of people who shared your, your views all along, but I also think there's a lot of eyes that have been opened and you know what? The restrictions that were imposed after COVID became a thing opened a lot of people's eyes to a lot of what was going on in schools, what their kids were being taught. Yeah. And they're starting to step up. They're starting to fight back. COVID was the single biggest reason, in my opinion, why um, so many parents are homeschooling Agreed. now. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Thank you, Fauci. <laughs> In retrospect, in retrospect. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's always, there's always a reason uh, for uh, people to do what they do. There's always a reason for people to move forward uh, and um, take the actions that they take. But the modern feminist movement couched their, Uh, arguments back in the 60s and 70s in noble, high-sounding ideals. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, we just want women to have equality. You know what I mean? They've not had equality before the law. Let's just make it possible for them to go get a job and have equality before the law in terms of like divorce and whatnot. But that sounded great, noble, Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And who could be against the woman who wants to go get a job, going to get a job? Of course, I'm not against that. You're not against that. We're not against that. Anybody who wants to do that should have the right to do that. I mean, it's a no brainer. But very soon it became apparent that that wasn't the end game. That wasn't the end goal. Mm -hmm. The end game was the destruction of the family. The end game was marginalizing men. And the end game was to basically make it impossible for anybody who disagreed with this narrative to speak up without being attacked, without being ostracized, mm-hmm. without being told they were less than and wrong. And so many people are shutting up. And this is effective propaganda. Yo- J- Joseph Goebbels back in the day would say that the job of effective propaganda is to lie ho- brazenly, lie effectively, so that nobody can dares challenge your lie. And that's how you win the propaganda war. And that's what's been happening for the last little while. And voices like yours are important because you're one of the original voices among women who were calling this out and were saying there's something not right about this. And that's why I wanted to interview you because I've read some of your work and I've been very impressed with what you've done. You've got courage. You've, You've got big ovaries. So good on you. Well, I, you know, I'll tell you, I have a, I have a little bit of a different background and that that's probably why, um, some of it is just my personality. When I hear something that I know isn't right, like I know that's false and you're selling it and people who are too busy, it's not that they're dumb. It's just, they're busy living their lives, doing their thing. So when they have this stuff coming at them, a lot of those sound bites stick and then they go along their way and they just remember the sound bite, but they never took the time to actually study what they were just told. And so they just take it for what it is. And I knew that it wasn't true and that it was a lie. And so I took it upon myself sort of just like, 
that's messed up. You can't, you can't do that to people. They're going to go create lives based on this crap you're selling them. Not again, because they're dumb, but because they're busy and they don't realize that there's more to, to this. So, um, and I, yeah. So part of that is just my personality and just not being able to shut up when I know that something is happening, that's not right. So there's, there's that. Um, mm-hmm. And that started even back. I, I'm a teacher by trade. So in my twenties, after so many, a couple of years, I'm like, I'm out of here because I'm not going to do what you're asking me to do. It's not right. So that's, that's kind of what pulls I mean, I don't know if it's courage or just like this, <laughs> this need to tell the truth. I think, I feel like it's just this need to, I'm just a, I'm a truth teller. I don't know how else to say it. And I came from a long line of women who were truth tellers. And uh, you just say what it is so that you can create a practical, happy life. You don't, you don't subscribe to ideology. That's not going to get you anywhere. And you don't join the crowd just because everyone's saying to do it. So I, I had some modeling on that. And I guess, I guess in the end, that's just sort of maybe what separated me from my contemporaries. Well, good on you. Um, I think what you're all about is uh, to tell the truth. What you're all about is to arm uh, men and women with the facts and with a comprehensive philosophical framework to be able to push back against the lies of the left because the left is not the friend of humanity or human beings or men or women or children. The left is all about power and they understand that um, winning power really at the end of the day is about making people feel too afraid to speak up. Oh, 100%. Yeah. That's what they're all about. And why I do this podcast is I'm here to give a big double middle finger to the left and a big double middle finger to the forces of fascism and of cultural Marxism and say, you go screw yourselves. As long as there's breath in my body, I'm going to stand up and speak for these things and give courage to more people to stand up and believe in these things, because that's what's going to make our society a better place. I, you know, there's a professor at Concordia University. His name is Gad Sad. He wrote a book called The Parasitic Mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's a pretty brilliant guy. And he's normally a pretty positive guy. And I saw him post saying, I think the West is doomed. I'm normally an optimistic guy, but I just don't think there's there's a way to put, you know, Humpty Dumpty back together again. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm here to say I don't agree with him. Mm-hmm. I think that God is on our side. One of two mm-hmm. things is happening. Either we're in end times and you know what? We're in end times and we got to deal with that. And that's part of what God's plan is. And that's right. all. It is what it is. And we'll have to deal with it or we're not. And God is on our side and he's always going to take the side of the righteous. But it's not going to happen without us also standing up. You know, the Lord helps those who helps themselves, as the saying goes. And it's very important. So and and for a long time, I was in that same space that I guess you're in, in terms of helping people, trying to help, trying to help people be courageous in speaking up. I ended up now where I am is working with, with mostly with married couples, but individual women and some men um, in understanding how this, everything we're talking about has affected their own relationship, which, you know, when you're talking about the stuff that we're talking about, you're thinking, well, what's this got to do with, you know, a marriage or a relationship. We're talking about politics. And of course, <laughs> marriage and motherhood have been politicized. And so it's very mixed in. 
Um, but I'm trying to show how the 40 year, 50 year, um, uh, drumbeat that there are no differences between women and men, that men and women are equal as in the same. The tagline for my podcast is where men and women are equal in value, but wildly different by nature. So we're not equal because equal means the same. It means interchangeable. It means what one can do, the other, okay, can do, maybe, sometimes, often, yes, but want to, not usually. And that's where the there's no disconnect. Just because I may be able to do something that a man can do doesn't mean that I want to, or vice versa. So it's this human desire, male and female nature that is being stripped out of us so that when we feel something that is female in nature, if you're a woman or male in nature, if you're a man, you you think you're not supposed to listen to it because that makes you, you know, what you're not supposed to be, which is traditionally male or traditionally female. I'm using the word traditionally almost begrudgingly because I, I don't even like that word for what I mean. I'm really talking about human nature. Human nature is static. It doesn't change. The culture changes. We change as a society, but but as humans, we don't. We we desire what we desire. And it doesn't matter what era we live in. But if it's unacceptable to want what you want, you're going to try to talk yourself out of it and deal with all of these emotions and contort yourself so that you follow along with what everyone else is doing because that also is human nature, which is to follow the culture. So if the culture is not allowing you, you're, you're in this constant struggle with your identity as a woman and or as a man. And so instead of fighting it in a big way, in the way that I used to try to, I now just do it sort of in smaller pieces, one-on-one and helping men understand what women want and helping women understand really well, not only what men want or need, but how to love a man, how to get the best out of him. What are you going to do to get that from him? And what is he going to do to get what she wants? What, what is he going to be able to do? So I focus on them individually. Not It's not like I talk to couples together. I mean, I do sometimes, but normally it's one-on-one to become the person that will bring out the best in the other person. I guess that's the best way of putting it. And so my focus is really there now instead of on this larger uh, conversation that we're having because uh, I spent just a lot of years doing that and I just sort of narrowed it down into this and I'm kind of happier here. So that's where I am right now. Well, good for you. I think that everybody's got to find a path that makes them happy and frankly is uh, commercially smart, right? Uh, what, what I do for a living outside of here is I work with a lot of coaches and consultants in the arena of thought leadership. And I, I believe that good men and women should make good money doing that and sharing yes. their expertise. <laughs> and you have real expertise here. There's a ton of women and men who could benefit from uh, the work that you do and, and the wisdom that you could give them. I'm glad that you're doing the work that you're doing. I hope that you have lots of ways for people to work with you, whether it works with you one-on-one, maybe you will hopefully put together an online course, you know, maybe you'll, uh, you'll uh, put together a, uh, a self-study group and that sort of thing mm -hmm. for people as well. Cause you won't be able to work with everybody. I mean, no. God knows there's a lot of people who need your help and one-on-one, -on -one, you're not going to get to a ton. I know. I know. Sure. Well, you, you know what happened as I started, I told everybody I was going to do a course. I spent about a year on it and then I scrapped it. It was a 
lot of work, <laughs> needless to say. And if it was just, if I was just doing that, that would be one thing. But trying to juggle that with other things, I had several things going at once and that unfortunately I had to let go. And then I realized that, um, yeah, there are other ways of doing that where you can do more class oriented stuff online. Like you said, that's more, that's either live or recorded, um, as opposed to a whole, whole online course. So anyway, but yeah, I, I hear you. I don't know if I'll well, always be one-on-one, but I can, I can chat with you offline about it. But one of the okay. things we teach people to do, and you could easily do, and I'll give this to you for free. It's really simple is, um, find a group of uh, half a dozen to a dozen people that you'll do a pilot program for and say, Hey, look, I'm going to do a 12 week pilot program yeah. on, you know, exactly what you said on how to love a man, uh, and how to get the best out of him. It's only for married women. Normally I charge X, but just for yeah. you, for the pilot, I charge Y you run it on zoom. And here's what you do. You map out the lesson plan each week. You record it. You get your, um, you get your, your, um, your tech person and you say, okay, you're going to make yeah. this module one, yeah. module two, 12 weeks later, you got a course presto. Now, is it the prettiest course you've ever had? No, but the basic content's going to be there. And that's what people really care about. They don't really care about how I pretty probably it was making it too difficult. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's simple. God, I used to do that too, man. I mean, I, I come from an academic background and blah, blah, blah. But once, once my coach taught me this and I did this, I go, man, that wasn't that hard. <laughs> you know, yeah. that wasn't it cost me uh one hour to um to plan every lesson it cost me about another hour to deliver it so 24 total hours and i had to pay a guy about three thousand dollars to you know make it look mm-hmm. presentable and then i uploaded it boom yeah see i was doing everything 3, i was doing everything all of it myself that's what got me oh overwhelmed my God. Oh yeah, no, uh, it was ridiculous. It, 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 if you ever want to think about redoing it, just okay. call me. I'll give you these right. pointers and do it. It's simple. You don't need to redo it. Oh god, okay. it, this should take you much less time than you made it sound like. And, I know. And I'm I'll sure you're you, right. I, I'll tell you something else that um, when you said this, the first thought that I had is, if my ex-wife had had this type of guidance, we probably would still be married. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because she, she's basically she's a good woman. She's a good mm-hmm. woman. Full stop. Period. End mm-hmm. of story. Mm-hmm. She just was sold the feminist lie and she bought mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I I can tell you this. I'm with someone else and she's with someone else. But I think that we both could have made this work if we had had the tools. That's all. I yeah. I think probably um, most could. That's what I see yeah. in my end. It's really about willingness well, that's about knowledge first and then willingness. Some people will have the knowledge and not be willing. Um, so you need both for sure. But yeah, I agree with you. Suzanne, I got to say that I really appreciate you taking the time to come and be here with me. You are a, uh, um, you are a hero of mine for having had the guts to stand up for men uh, when it was not fashionable. And I appreciate you and I commend you for helping women um, learn how to appreciate men because to a man, love to a man is being appreciated. If Mm -hmm. we're appreciated, we feel loved. And if what you're doing is helping women find appreciation for their man, God bless you. God bless you. You're doing God's work here on this planet. And I I wish uh, you nothing but success. And I hope that Tens of thousands of people learn about your methods. 
and utilize them in their marriages, hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people, because if we can, if we can stop this epidemic of needless divorce, the world will be a better place. That's all I have Thank to you, say. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. So Suzanne, if someone is interested in connecting with you, finding out about the work you do, sending a woman they know to you, what's yeah. the best way? Yeah. So just go to my, it's just my name, Suzanne, S-U-Z-A-N-N-E, Venker, V-E-N-K-E-R.com. And everything is there from my YouTube page to my podcast, to coaching, all of it. Okay. We'll make sure we put that in the show notes and listen, as I said to you, I do another podcast, a business podcast. I'd love to have you on that if you're willing to come on. And sure. uh, it, it would be uh, an absolute honor. Thank you so much for being on the show. God bless your heart and Baloo out. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Man Podcast. If you're ready to take charge of your life and become the man you've always wanted to be, we invite you to join the movement at SovereignMan.ca.